listening to the Agent Survival Guide podcast. A podcast for today's insurance agents. Informing. Educating. Empowering. Improving the way you do business in an industry that's anything but static. In today's episode, retirement doesn't always mean the end of work. There's a real possibility that your Medicare clients may want or need to go back to work. What happens then? Unretiring and what it means for your Medicare clients. Now, there are a variety of reasons why your clients might want to unretire after they've gone on Medicare. But here to talk with us today, Danny Ford. He is our senior sales broker here at Ritter Insurance Marketing. Danny, great to have you here on the show today. Can you give us a quick background on what it is exactly that you do here? I sell insurance. That's the easy part. So basically, I just I meet with clients and figure out what their needs are, just like every other agent does. I just happen to work specifically for Ritter. Okay. Well, thank you so much for being here today. As I mentioned in the open, we're talking about unretiring and what this process looks like versus kind of what you would typically go through going on to Medicare the first time. So what happens if my client wants to go back to work after they've retired and gone on Medicare, chosen their Medicare Advantage, MedSub, Original Medicare, all of that? How does that work? Well, the first thing you probably have to do is have their head checked to make sure they're still sane for going back to work. But it's pretty much just like aging into Medicare. There are a couple of different things we, you know, that you have to check on and verify but pretty much the process is the same as, you know, when they went on to original Medicare. You just have to decide how much of Medicare they want to let go. Okay. And maybe I should have asked this question first, but I know I've recently seen more and more articles about this in the news because of inflation and whatever else. But how frequently does this topic come up for you in your day-to-day as an agent selling? It's starting to come up a lot more. It's not something that I've seen over the years a whole lot, but here recently it is starting to come up more. I think more what you see now, what I'm seeing even more of now is people just staying in the workforce. But definitely in the past year or two, I've seen you know a, a good handful of clients that said they're heading back. If I'm an agent and this is the first time that I've handled this kind of question from a client, where do I start? First, your client has to consider the extra income as it relates to their Medicare, their Medicare premiums and their Part D premiums. If they're close, you know, that extra money they're going to make could push them to the higher income bracket, which is going to, then they're going to have to pay more for their Part B, more for their Part C or D plan. So that's one consideration, you know, they have to think about. The size of the company is going to make a difference on what they're going to do with their Medicare. So if their company is 20 employees or less, their Medicare will be their primary payer. If their company is 20 employees or more, their company's insurance could become their primary payer. So that may make a difference on whether they decide to keep Medicare or go back to work, maybe. Who knows? Okay. You mentioned those two different groupings on the size of the employer. Let's start with a small company first that was less than 20 employees. 
What does that pathway look like for getting back into the workforce and so if your company has 20 or less employees, Medicare is going to be your Medicare, whether it's Part C, Part D, Part A, is going to be your primary payer. So what that means is Medicare will pay first. If they pick up employer group health, they will pay second. So it'll end up for them actually having extra insurance if they had their employer, you know, their employer group. They might even come out of pocket a little bit less. But the main part of it is that their their Medicare will still be their primary insurance. It'll be the one that gets billed first. They might want to figure out monetarily if they even want to pick up their employer group health plan, if it pays them to, if they want to postpone. And this will be a lot the same with bigger company too, but you know, maybe repostpone part B so they're not paying that part B premium if they're going to use their employer group health. You know, all of those things are are things they should, you know, take into consideration when making that decision. Now, what do we need to think about when we're looking at the MedSup or the MedAdvantage side of things? Is that something that we can still have that MedSup plan or we can still have the Medicare Advantage plan? How does that work? So, yes, most of the time you can keep your Medicare coverage that you currently have. There are some times where you can't. For example, if you were to decide to postpone your Part A because let's say, for example, your employer has a high deductible health plan, but they fund your HSA entirely. You cannot have an HSA and Medicare Part A. So in that case, that may be a circumstance where you want to postpone your Part A Mm -hmm. so that you can have an HSA if your employer is going to fund the entire thing. If you have a really good prescription drug plan, you know, through your employer group health that is considered creditable, In other words, it's at least as good as Medicare. You might want to get rid of your Part D plan. Well, if your Part D plan is tied into your Medicare Advantage plan, that's going to open up some other questions that you need to ask. Obviously, can't ditch the Part D part without ditching the benefits. Mm. Um, But that doesn't mean you can't keep the benefits and just have extra benefits. You know, your employer group coverage, as I said earlier, would pay first. So you might actually come out of pocket less for your meds if you had both plans. Sometimes you can't, depending on the employer group coverage, you can't have both plans. So there's a lot of questions that, you know, that are going to open up as you get into it. Most of the time, you're not going to be able to have two prescription drug plans. So you're going to have to choose one. So you have to figure out which one's going to cover your medications better. Again, if your employer group coverage is creditable, is it as good as Medicare's? And when I say as good as Medicare's, it has to be determined by Medicare that it's as good as Medicare's. You know, that's just, again, it's all going to lead from this question to this question. Mm -hmm. So it's really good to talk to somebody who knows what's going on. Your benefits administrator at your job, for example, would be a good one. There's a lot of things we as agents can't see on the employer group health side. You know, it, it we can't always know what their policies, how they're built out. So. Okay. So we did get into that creditable coverage for the Sorry, I jumped ahead. I That's think. okay. That's okay. Uh but the creditable coverage for a prescription drug plan that that is as per Medicare standards. This is not, you know, this might fill my needs and it might save me money, but it might not be considered creditable coverage from Medicare. So unfortunately, we can't we can't go with that selection. 
Is there anything else that we need to know about clients going back to work for the smaller size company? I think we we covered the MedSup, we covered MedAdvantage, that clients need to have Part A and B, that Medicare, original Medicare is going to be the first payer. And we talked about the credible coverage for Part D prescription drug plans. Anything else? I can't think of another thing. Okay. <laughs> Let's move on then to the larger sized companies, the ones with 20 or more employees. What do we need to know in these cases? Because it's a little different, isn't it? It is. So again, with the with the larger companies, the company's insurance, your your employer group health is going to become your primary payer if you choose it. Again, that means that your company, you know, your employer group coverage will pay first, Medicare will become secondary. In this situation, you can postpone your Part B. You can you can tell Social Security that you want to postpone Part B so you're not paying that $170-plus premium because you're going to get your coverage from the employer. That'll save you a little bit of money, you know, uh, some extra money out of pocket. It will then, and I won't get into it too much, it will then trigger a new sort of open enrollment period when you come back out of the workforce into retirement. We'll get into that a little bit later, but again, Part A, you generally won't want to postpone. Part A is free, so as long as you've worked 40 quarters, which is 10 years, if you've worked 10 years of your life and have paid into the system, Part A is going to be free for you, so you don't have to worry about that cost. So there are times where you would want to postpone Part A. It's not easy to do, especially coming out of retirement back into the workforce they don't make it super simple. So it's not something that you want to take lightly. But if you do have a, again, a fully funded HSA from your employer or want to have an HSA that's fully funded, then you'd have to postpone Part A. You can't have Part A and an HSA. It's just not, you just can't. Or you'll get a penalty and you'll have to pay a lot of money. Yes. Nobody wants to pay anything extra to them. No. So what I'm hearing here is really that stick with Part A, you're not paying for it for the most part. If we're going back at this larger company, what else do we need to think about? I think you mentioned something about the HSA plan there. Is there anything else to consider as far as maybe additional Medicare supplements or maybe thinking about the prescription drug coverage with a larger company? Again, it's going to depend on creditability of coverage. You know, if if their prescription drug plan is not creditable and you drop your Part D plan, you could incur a Part D penalty down the road. So that's something to think about. Your company is going to have a lot of information on that. They'll be able to tell you if it's creditable. They'll tell you if it becomes not creditable. In other words, like let's say today you sign up and a year from now, you know, they change prescription drug companies and it becomes non-creditable, then they'll tell you that as well because they know you're a Medicare agent. That would mean you'd have to get a Part D plan or else you'll face a penalty. Again, HSA, you cannot contribute to an HSA if you have Part A. So that doesn't mean that if you had one in the past, you can't use the money out of it. And you can. You can use the money from a past HSA to pay premiums, deductibles, co-pays, but you can't contribute with Part A to an HSA anymore. Okay. So we covered the Part B coverage that we can drop. You just want to make sure, of course, with that, that you're keeping track of all of these times that, you know, effective dates, all of that kind of stuff. Prescription drug coverage must still be considered creditable coverage. 
regardless of the company size, when I hear the process of going through unretiring, it sounds like it's very similar to initial enrollment, that you're going to want to compare the benefits with what your client needs. Absolutely. What they're thinking as far as costs goes, just that it's maybe a couple more things to consider. Is there anything else that we need to know about larger companies, smaller companies, any of that? I don't think there's anything additional that's going to be too different between a larger or smaller company. Well, then what happens when a client stops working for the second time? So essentially retiring again after they've unretired. What does that process look like and how does that change? So it's going to be pretty close to the same as the first time they retired. There are some different time frames. They'll, they'll get a special enrollment to Part B, which that window is eight months, and it's eight months from the day they retire, um, and it begins on an end date of your employment. And then Part D, you have 60 days, two months, to get back into a Part D plan. You'll get a special election period for that. MedSup, again, you'll have six months from your Part B effective date to get a Medicare supplement. And then Medicare Advantage plan or or MAPD works the same way as Part D. You have 60 days because that's going to have your Part D coverage. There is one pitfall, and it's something that everybody should remember, is all of this is contingent on employment. And let me rephrase that, active employment. So if your employer offers to keep your benefits going for a year, but you're no longer employed, that's a pitfall. Because yes, it's nice to have the free benefits, but then you will incur a Part B penalty when you re-enroll. And you'll have to wait to the next open enrollment period, which would be the following July. So let's say let's say it's May and you're stopped working, but they're going to continue to pay. Once that benefit ends, it's going to be May again. We're just using May to May. So July is when you can re-enroll in Part B. But it's not July right after June. It's next July. So, and then that Part B penalty is 10%. So it's a pretty big one. Active employment. So if your employer wants to pay for your health care, that's all well and good. Mm -hmm. But if you're not actively employed and you don't reactivate Part B, you're going to pay a penalty. Same with Part D. If you don't have a creditable coverage, a creditable Part D plan, you're going to pay a penalty every month that you don't have one that you should. So let's say you don't have creditable coverage for 12 months. You're going to pay 1% of the benchmark premium for that 12 months. So let's say the benchmark premium is $31. Then you're going to pay 31 cents times 12. If it's times 24, it's 31 cents times 24. If it's 36, so that can add up. Right. Um, Why that matters is because let's say you decided to take a Medicare Advantage plan that was zero premium, but you had three years of a 31 cent penalty. Now, instead of paying zero for your plan, you're going to pay whatever 31 is times 36. Right, right. Now, for the Medicare Advantage plan, can we touch back on that for a minute? Because we're talking about how you have that two-month window to re-enroll in Medicare Advantage, and if you miss that, you wait until the next enrollment period. Does that include special enrollment periods, or is that just the next annual enrollment period? So you could, there could be a special election period that pops in there. Mm-hmm. For example, 
right now we have five-star plans in central Pennsylvania for the first time ever. So there's a possibility you could use one, but yeah, for the most part, you're going to have to wait until the next AEP, which is obviously October 15th. Okay. And then that plays back into the Part D coverage penalty. Mm -hmm. if, if you are without coverage until then, you're going to end up incurring that penalty. Right. And we want our clients not to have to incur those penalties. As much as possible. We don't want, we never want to pay a penalty. Right. Let's go over those again. What are the Part B and the Part D penalties? One more time, just so we can kind of understand how much of a cost you incur with these, with yeah. these penalties. So Part B penalty is 10% of the monthly Part B standard premium. So 10% of $170 and change. And that's a forever penalty. Right. That's not just a one time, one year. And same with Part D. Part D is 1% of the base premium for each month that you should have had coverage but did not. Right. So if you were without coverage for six months, then the base premium is 31 cents. So it's going to be 31 cents times six. That, again, is a forever penalty. It doesn't go away. So you're always going to pay that penalty. Right, right. What about pre-existing conditions? I know we kind of think about those every time we enroll, but if you're unretiring and then going back onto Medicare, what if something happened within that span of time that now I have a pre-existing condition? How does that factor in the second time enrolling? So for the most part, it shouldn't Okay. because you're going to be back in, a, as far as a Medicare supplement is concerned, mm -hmm. you're going to be back in an open enrollment situation. So you're going to get that supplement at no health questions, guaranteed issue, however you want to say, whatever the term is, you want to uh, define it. Okay. So for the most part, you're not going to need to worry about pre-existing conditions. Are there times where you may? Yes, probably. I'm not even going to try to define one. Right. Um, I can't. One does not pop into my head immediately. But essentially, once you're re-retiring, you're coming back into open enrollment again. It's going to be the same as aging in virtually with some different time frames. Right. So it is kind of exciting that you get that second chance at a MedSup with that guaranteed ability to enter and not have to go through underwriting. Good to have a lot of these different exceptions and things in mind, the ones that you can actually use as you're, as you're helping your clients with this coverage. Is there anything else that's really important to pass on to our clients as we're talking through this process? Keep your proof of coverage letters, your creditable coverage letters, anything okay. you get from your employer that shows that you had creditable coverage, you want to make sure you keep those for a while. Mm -hmm. There are times when we sign somebody up that don't want to see, that the carrier may want to see those. Okay. So definitely keep that kind of stuff that comes from employer group coverage or any insurance coverage. That way, if we need to prove something, we have it to prove. Okay. Well, I think that is, that's really all we have. I think you've answered all of my questions. Certainly, I hope that you've answered everyone's questions who are listening right now. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I hope you can edit this and make it usable. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Again, that was Danny Ford, our senior sales broker here at Ritter Insurance Marketing. If you have questions like this one about a specific sales challenge that you've come across during your time in the field, send them our way. Because odds are, if you've come across a situation like this, others have too, or they will in the future. 
as I said, we would love to hear from you. Maybe you want to come on the podcast yourself and share how you handled the situation and what's been working for you. We would love to chat. And if that's not for you, but you keep coming across an issue that you'd like some clarification on, we'd be happy to help in that way as well. You can reach out to us by email at asgpodcast at ridderim.com, or you can give us a call at 1-717-562-7211. Thank you so much for listening to this installment of our Agent Survival Guide podcast. If you like what you hear, follow along for more. We will see you next episode.